wisdom walking with the hat man and the lovable Harvey. So hello everyone. Hope you're okay and um, thanks for listening to this recording. Let me see if I can pick you up. I heard something um, on the radio the other day. It was a conversation between uh, the host and two or three guests. And one of the guests said something, oh, don't play the blame game in a challenging way, which then sparked a furious debate. Uh, But the thing from that is um, the blame game. That's what's resonated with me for the last few days. And I've been thinking about that quite a lot. So the subject of today is uh, the blame game. We might end up with Mary Poppins or Tina Turner, maybe a bit of Robin Williams and a film directed by Robert De Niro. But for now, the blame game. Just want to talk about (laughs) uh, the blame game. The first time I can recall playing it. Um, So I must have been 17 just left uh, fifth year at school, whatever you call it these days, and um, I was able to get a driving license, but my mum and dad said, no, 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 no. But I kept on with a passion to my mum and dad to teach me to drive. And the thing is, they did teach me to drive in part. And in part, I mean, they let me steer the car. So they would sit in the driving seat and I would have to reach across so I could steer the car. And I got quite proficient at steering the car, but it wasn't driving and I wanted to sit in the driving seat. One time my mum got me to sit on her lap so she could play with the pedals and I could do the steering. Sounds quite dangerous, but I was a scrawny nine stone. So perhaps not too bad, but I was sitting on my mum's lap at 17. What on earth? (laughs) Anyway, I kept on and on and on. And one Sunday, my dad said, right, that's it. I'm going to teach you. Right, we're going to do it. So um, we went out the back garden and we lived in a fire brigade house, which backed onto the fire station yard. So if you can imagine a, a car park, probably for maybe 100 cars, it's about that big. And it's where the fire engines would come in and uh, they'd do drills and stuff. So it was a a large area. And if you imagine, right, I'm looking at the back of the houses where we came out. There's a row of six houses there, two, four, six, eight, probably. And on the right-hand side was a rank of garages, which was where we would all park our cars when a car would fit in a garage. So my dad pulled the car out of the garage and he's turned it right So we're now parallel with the houses. And what me and my neighbour chums would do, we would use this uh, car parking area at weekends as a football field, a cricket pitch, a running track. Because in the middle was um, a grassy area with um, streetlights on it. So it's a formidable size. And he said, right, get in the car, I'm gonna teach you to drive now. Suddenly I got very scared. But I got in there defiantly, I said, okay sat behind the uh, wheel 
uh, trying to move the uh, pedal things out of the way. He told me no, I'd need those. Okay. And he asked me to start the car, so uh, I started the car, the engine was going, and then he got me to go into gear, explained the thing about the clutch and the accelerator, the timing of both, and moving the hand into first gear and slowly releasing the clutch would mean that I could drive the car. All sounds good so far. So, I'm in the car, and the first thing we do, we bunny hop. I clunk, clunk the car, and I start to freak out. It just tells me, relax, relax, you'll be fine. We'll do it again. Four or five times later, I'm still bunny hopping. He says, look, you're gonna get it in a minute, don't worry. And then I got it. So then, I'm moving forward. I'm actually driving the car. I'm like, wow couldn't believe it you know I'm driving along and the only time I'd ever steered the car was in uh, this deserted car park uh, it was to this parking space at the back garden so as I'm driving along my dad says right okay now mind the cars mind the cars on the right watch out for the fire engine and then we're gonna and keep going keep going and as he said it on the second one we got to where we would normally park the car and I do a fantastic right-hand turn, at which point my dad's forehead hits the passenger side door, and he says something along the lines, what are you doing? Um, and as I've turned perfectly between two parked cars, I take my foot off the accelerator, just like a bump car expecting to stop. Oh no. It mounts the curb, knocks over a small tree, and we crash it, well I say we, I've crashed into two garden posts at the bottom of the garden and my dad takes his hands off the dashboard and he looks at me and he reminded me of a scene in The Omen and it was something like, get out and I got out quickly and he said something else, I stopped, looked back and I said, Dad, did you just swear? I'm telling Mum I've never seen so much rage <laughs> anyway, I go in the house and I, and I think I did dob my dad in it I said, yeah, you, he, uh, he just swore. She says, well, what for? He comes in and he goes, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. He's crashed the car. My mum says, he's what? <laughs> I've crashed the car, I said. She says, why did you crash the car? I don't know. And my dad said, I told him to brake, brake, press the brake, and he wouldn't, he just didn't press the pedal. And I looked at him and I said, you didn't tell me where the brake was. <laughs> he said, there was three pedals. One you knew, the second one you knew made you go forward. What do you think the other one was for? Well, I don't know. He goes, it was the brake. Anyway, the thing about the blame game, in that situation, I firmly believed then, and to this day, I was in the right. My dad, he's dead, um, I'm sure he'd have a different opinion. And he would say that I was to blame because I didn't stop the car, because I didn't follow the instruction. <laughs> so that was my first recollection of the blame game. My dad's face, gee whiz. So, there was that one. And, then, and now, oh yeah, the next one that comes to mind is my neighbor. So this is just before Jade is born, so this is 94, 95, somewhere around then. And there was a, a neighbor down in Parkstone one of the neighbours, it was an old boy, and he was out there all the time in his garden, and no matter how much I tried to say hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, he never said anything. He just looked at me. 
not with disdain, he just looked at me and then we'd go in the garden, um, through the garden and into his house. And I said to uh, my wife at the time, I said, I'm not sure if that guy's deaf or if, he, or if he is foreign, but he just completely ignores me. She said, oh, well, don't worry about it. One particular evening, pulled up in my car, it's a sunny evening, and as I get out, I say, hi, yeah. And he goes, oh, right. So I looked at him because this is the first time I heard him speak. And he pointed this big bush he's got with his big leaves sticking out. And he said, you've got to watch out for these leaves. And I said, why? He said, come here. So I walked over and looked at the leaves, which are quite long. And he said, at the end, yeah. He said, the ends are really sharp and pointy. Don't touch it. I went, hey, what? And guess what? I touched it. <laughs> Bugger me. It was sharp. It really hurt. I think I've still got a scar now. And I looked at him going, you, you, I wanted to blame him. Clearly, it was his fault. But let's look at the evidence. He told me what the danger was. He told me what not to do. And I still did it. But I still blame him to this day anyway. It was about that time. Uh, my ex-wife and I, we would share the one car. And one time, you know, having... I got in the car, uh, she'd been out in it all day, and I decided to go out, it was parked up, turned the engine on, and clunk, she'd left it in gear, and I went straight into the back of another neighbour's car. And I fell crying out, who left this in gear? Oh. And it was her, so of course. I went to see my neighbour, explained the situation, blah, 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 and then I went in the house and gave my wife a right mouthful, and she said, what for? She said, I always leave it in gear. Well, I didn't know that. She says, you've not long passed your test. You know to check the car is in neutral. So, again, you know, I know exactly what's needed as opposed to the time with my dad when I had no idea. So that was no defence. I, I had been assessed to a critical level as being competent, so I had no excuse. But a bit like my neighbour in the plant, I chose to ignore what I knew to be so, but I still blamed her. And if we were to talk again about that episode, she would blame me, <clears throat> and I wouldn't. So the blame game's a bit, a bit odd really. I'm not sure if there's any value in playing the blame game. But on a less light-hearted note, um, there was, uh, a mugging not so long ago near here and um, it was I think it was a subway or somewhere where the street lights were out and this individual he'd gone through this place which was all dark and lo and behold he got mugged in a subway he blamed the council for not having enough lighting in there and the police for not having enough um, police bobbies on the beat and stuff and I'm like, for God's sake, mate, take a bit of ownership on this. I, I walk around with the dog, particularly in the winter, at night, when it's dark and raining, and sometimes there's a shortcut. And there's one through the park. Now, Harvey, you know, he, he God, anyone came near me, he'd take care of me. But I can also, 
you know, having crushed a grape and torn a tissue once, I believe I can handle myself. So I'd have nothing to be fearful of. So I was thinking about this guy when he chose to get through the subway. He's got to take some ownership for this. The muggers shouldn't have done it, but he's got to blame for making that decision to go down there. So, I don't know, the blame game. I think it's a funny game. And I don't think the game should be played because blaming somebody, it's like you're looking to pass on responsibility for sometimes for things that have happened. And whether or not that responsibility lies with somebody else or yourself, the best possible way, it doesn't matter. What matters is, what are you gonna do as a result of the thing? Blaming somebody for this or that won't change the past. I'm not sure it will help us move forward And it's, um, again, I have the 10-year-old kid test where I look to the animal kingdom. But in the animal kingdom, animals don't blame each other. If you've got a pride of lions on a hunt or a load of ants on a uh, march and somebody does something not the way it's supposed to be or maybe the gazelle got away, the other lions don't go, oh, you silly, you silly lion they don't blame Mavis for being a bit slow for George for being a bit heavier or in the wrong place you know the thing happened and they just do it again and they keep trying and then they get the kill and then they all eat I think animals are smarter than humans sometimes seems to be a simpler life but we do blame and the crazy thing is, we blame others for things that mostly they're prob probably not responsible for. But we also blame ourselves. And we uh, look to take responsibility for things that often went down to us. The movie Goodwill Hunting, extraordinary film. Will Hunting goes to see his doctor, Sean Maguire. Classic scene. Uh, towards the end of the movie. And the doctor is talking to Will. He's got a load of things going on. And he just says, it's not your fault. He gets a response and he repeats again and again and again. It's not your fault. Until eventually Will, Will decides that he can't deny it anymore. And it all goes, it all, he lets it all go. And all these emotions come out. The, the actor there, Professor Sean Maguire or Dr. Sean Maguire, for me, he was a hero. He hung in there with this guy that was lost, really. And he was there through thick and thin and helped him. Along the way, he shared some personal stuff but he never once blamed Will for the actions that he took. He was a bit of a hero for me, Sean Maguire there.
in life sometimes we're told that, that wherever we are whatever's gone in the past doesn't affect where we are right now and maybe we could try to step away from the mirror and maybe look at our situation as perhaps a, a hero would how would a hero react given all the circumstances how would a hero stand up how would a hero rise up against all odds and move forward to become the great saviour, the great guide, whatever it might be. A hero. Maybe sometimes with the crap we've got going on in our past. Maybe, maybe, maybe we need a hero. We don't want to be our own worst enemy. Sometimes, yeah, maybe we do need to be a hero certainly never our own worst enemy an enemy is someone who's going to try and kill you someone's going to try and use a gun a bomb a tank mines knives whatever i don't think we are our own worst enemy i think we're probably just a little bit hard on ourselves maybe we could uh, maybe we could ask people a few more things Maybe we could listen when they ask if we want some help. We'd probably say no. We might listen when they say, did we want some company? No. If they said, would they like me to have them listen to what's going on? No. And if they ask me, will I give up? The answer again would be no. And that could be the starting point. Am I going to give up in terms of becoming a hero? I don't know. I don't know what a modern hero is. There's a movie called The Bronx Tale, directed by Robert De Niro. It's set in the 1950s. He plays uh, a character called Lorenzo. Uh, married, he's got a son. Calagero or something and his son has kind of fallen under the wing of this mobster Sonny he's got the flash suits he's got the jewellery he's got the watch he's got the shoes he's got the cars he's got his uh, henchmen and he's got respect on the street on the corner and Sonny will take care of his stuff and he gives uh, this 10, 12 year old boy 9 year old boy little jobs like serving beer and give some money and after a while his parents Lorenzo Robert De Niro discover what, he, what he's doing and it's like well hang on we didn't bring you up this way and his son's going yeah well you know I'm making a name for himself I'm going to do this that, and the other and Lorenzo says hang on a minute my mum and dad came over here with nothing and they worked hard to give me everything give me every opportunity and you're and I'm doing the same for you and, and uh, his son's like, yeah, whatever. As most unruly children do. And Lorenzo, it's a great scene. He says, it doesn't take much strength to pull a trigger. But you try and getting up every morning, day after day and work for a living. And then you see who the real tough guy is. And sometimes just getting out of bed is the toughest thing we can do. That's the hero.
you know, I've got to get up, I've got, I'm going to do this. When it's easier to pull a trigger, or stand at the duvet and just hibernate, or go into, you know, I don't know, you just hide really, because it's safe. So it's quite heroic sometimes to step up, get out of that bed, put your, put your gym jams to one side, have that shower. I don't know what heroic is, but uh, Lorenzo certainly was. Some of you may be saying we don't need a hero. Tina Turner would agree with you. We don't need another hero. But what she does say in there that's needed, that's not like castles in the sky, is we need love and compassion. And that's what matters. Is that where the uh, strength is? To avoid blame? To avoid self-blame? Have you started to think about your next thought yet? We don't need another hero, but my hero <laughs> would be Mary Poppins. She said, everything is possible, even the impossible. She's probably right. So, you know, um, there's some stories about me when I was younger, almost giving my dad concussion, <laughs> trying to pass the blame, pass the buck. I don't think uh, the blame game is a game I want to play anymore. So um, listen, uh, thanks very much for listening. I'm really pleased you have tuned in. And uh, Harvey and I will catch up with you again soon. Hat man out.